Thanks so much for joining us today. This is Stuart, Courtney, my name's Jay. We want to invite you in now to just a time of worship and praise to our good God. Come on. Maker of heaven and 
Welcome, New City Online. We're so glad you can join us today. We look forward to continuing to worship with you in just a few moments. If this is your first time joining us, we would love to meet you. We want to invite you to join us with our online lobby immediately following the service, where you can speak to our pastor or a staff member. Just text LOBBY to 704-228-4489 to get the Zoom link. Thanks, Angel. And, and from me to you, New City, welcome and hi. Thank you so much for being here. You know, we at New City, we talk a lot about the power of stories because stories um, inspire us, they're relatable, and thank you for continuing to send in stories of, of ways that God's teaching you things you're seeing in the city. Uh, even, even middle school students and high school students have, have sent in some stories uh, for us over the last month, and it's been so fun to read uh, how God's teaching them. Uh, and one of the stories I wanted to highlight for us uh, today is the story that was sent in by a high school senior uh, his name is Fulton Schober, a student at our South Park campus. He's about to graduate from East Mech. Um, and he just shared about how in the midst of this season, how he's made the most of it, even, even when this year has not looked at all the way he had expected. And he writes, he writes this. Let me read you one paragraph. He says, While it's easy to look at all we have cherished as something we will never have back due to these weird times, we have to understand where we are and know that we will come back stronger and see the good coming out of this. While these times are trying, I'm optimistic for what is to come and what that entails. And Fulton even references a couple verses that he's found really helpful in the last month or so. And he references Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, which reads this. It says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. It's so inspiring and amazing to hear these stories from the students of how when um, in the midst of the season they're in, that they can find their hope in God and they can continue to make the most of the right now. And I just want to say this, that we are so proud of our next-gen kids and students for their resilience, for their ability to adapt and learn new, new rhythms at, at home, um, and their ability to keep persevering. And I just want to give a, give a plug for next Sunday. Next Sunday is Orange Day. Yes. And Orange Day is a day where we, we, we honor and celebrate our next-gen kids and students. But we also get to share stories of what makes next-gen at New City so special. So put that on your calendar. We'd love for you to come back and join us for those services next Sunday. Yes. And we'll also be sharing this week um, a New City family update about our gathering phases. So look for the link in your emails about information and the video. If you are new to New City or you're not already receiving email communications from us, it's truly the best way to stay connected with the church throughout the week. You can just visit newcity.us connect and let us know that you would like to hear from us. And New City, thank you so much for your radical generosity, which enables us to care for the needs of those in our city and in our world. And it continues to help us live out the mission that we, that we embrace to bring gospel renewal to our city and world. And, and, and it helps us to really live out and be a tangible expression of the way Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 9, that those who are enriched in every way can be generous in every way in order to bring and produce thanksgiving to God. 
And we are thankful for you, New City, for your generosity, not just financially, but in every way. And so thank you. Continue to, to, to give. And um, if you are giving already, thank you so much. And if you're not and you want to, uh, you can easily go, go to newcity.us slash give to give. And so I'd love it wherever you're at right now. Would you pray with me as we pray for our morning offering? Father, thank you so much for your grace to us. It's, it's, it's so amazing, and so, God, we're so thankful that even though we're so undeserving, um, God, that you have chosen to love us, to rescue us from our sin, and to give us life and identity and purpose. God, we, we want to honor you and, and glorify you, and so would you be honored by our, our hearts, by our worship, by our gifts today. And God, we continue to pray for the ministry of New City and those of us uh, that continue to love their neighbors well. And just pray that, God, that you would continue to bring gospel renewal uh, to our city and world. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says that we as followers of Christ look on things that are unseen, not those things that are seen. Things that are eternal. As we lead these next two songs, I want to encourage you to think from an eternal perspective. Be encouraged by the words. revealed to us. Our prayer is that our eyes are continuously open to 
see the breakthrough coming ahead.
Well, hello, New City family and friends. So good to be with you all today. Before I get into the message for today, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the bravery and sacrifice of the men and women who lost their lives while serving in our U.S. military. Would you help me in honoring them with a brief moment of silence? Thank you. So today I felt led to speak into where we find ourselves a little bit with with the hope that at the end of this crisis that we find ourselves in, that somebody would uh, be stronger in their faith, that somebody would have a deeper walk, a deeper relationship with God. So today I want to use my time to talk from the title Crisis Response crisis response. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we thank you for this time together today, this time to sit at your feet and to learn of you. We pray, God, that in this moment you would meet us right where we are, whether we're in our living room, on our deck, in our kitchen. Pray that you would meet us right where we are today. And we pray, Lord, that you would get the glory out of our lives, out of our situations, out of uh, whatever hardships we might be facing in this moment. We pray that you would arrest our attention. But we pray that whatever you do, God, that you would get the glory out of this moment, out of our time together today. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Crisis response. It's no secret that over the last few months we have been in a global crisis. I mean, everywhere from China to Italy to United States to Costa Rica and most places in between. I think it's safe to say that this crisis has affected us all in some sort of a way. For many of us, it's obviously affected our health. For some, our relationships. We can't get to some of our loved ones the way we might want to. For others, it has affected our finances. Clearly, there are some times in life when a crisis will arise, like the current crisis, that is completely out of our control, completely out of our control. We didn't ask for it, don't want it, and not sure when it will end. But the good news is, in my opinion, is that while we can't always control a crisis or the situations in life that we find ourselves in, we can control how we respond to it. But as we respond, I think it's important for us to consider how our responses could affect our relationships with God. Because I believe that most times our responses will either draw us closer to God or take us further away from him. You may have heard me say this before, but I had a mentor once tell me, he said, your response is your responsibility. Your response is your responsibility. So I want to, for a few moments, talk about crisis from a a general standpoint. By definition, crisis is a condition of instability or danger, as in social, economic, political, or even spiritual. Here's something interesting I want to read to you that I found as I prepared for today. 
It says the Chinese language contains two characters, which taken together connote the concept of crisis. The first character indicates a critical or dangerous situation, while the second one means an opportunity for change. Thus, these characters together indicate that crisis is a point in time that allows for the opportunity to change. I love that. Here's something else we know about crisis. Crisis tends to shake things up, doesn't it? So then anything that is not steadfast, fixed, or determined gets moved, doesn't it? It gets shifted. It gets displaced. Crisis can also disorient us at times, distract us. Many times it's in crisis that we tend to lose our sense of priority, our sense of purpose, because now it's the crisis that takes center stage in our lives and not Christ. Crisis love to feast on our attention, our energy, and our resources. Pastor Craig Groeschel said this, he said, what consumes your thoughts controls your life. What consumes your thoughts controls your life. We also know that crisis is an inevitable reality of the human experience, isn't it? But maybe crisis is more than that. I'd like to suggest today that crisis creates an opportunity to rely on Christ. Crisis creates an opportunity to rely on Christ. Now, I want to use uh, as a text today, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So I invite you to turn there with me if you have a copy of the scriptures near you. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. As you, as you find your way there, let me give you um, some background context so we know what's going on here. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the armies of Moab, Ammon, and Edom were on the move. And they were coming for King Jehoshaphat. They were coming for him, but listen, they, they weren't coming to bring him gifts. They weren't coming to bring him gifts. They were coming for war. They were coming for war. Now these three nations bordered Israel and Judah on the east and on the south. And since the reigns of David and Solomon, they had been on and off subject to the kings of Israel, paying tribute tax and providing forced labor. But it had been over 60 years since Solomon's death. And Israel had split into two kingdoms. So her strength was divided. And the northern kingdom was weakened from its battles with Syria. In other words, the time was ripe for these armies to come against Judah. Because by coming together now, they could crush Judah and plunder King Jehoshaphat's wealth. So now, who was King Jehoshaphat? King Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah. Scripture tells us that he was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 25 years. Now, spiritually, though Jehoshaphat wasn't perfect, he was considered a good and a godly king. 2 Chronicles 17, verses 3 through 6, give this commendation about him. It says, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the ways of his father, David. He sought the God of his father and followed his commands. 
The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. It goes on to say in verses 7 through 9 that Jehoshaphat sent men throughout the kingdom to teach people the law of God. So he was a godly man. But from a military standpoint, Jehoshaphat had fortified his defenses. And many of the surrounding nations feared Judah and brought presents and silver for tribute to him. In other words, King Jehoshaphat had it going on. He had it going on. Nonetheless, he was in a bona fide crisis. He was in a bona fide crisis. But now let's take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and look at how King Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah responded to this crisis that they found themselves in. I want to read a couple of verses here for you, uh, beginning at verse number 3. Beginning at verse number 3. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 3. And the word reads, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid after having word that these armies were coming against him. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to, assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, will we stand before this house and before you? For your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And verse 10, and now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O God, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And verse 12 reads, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So we see here that the first thing they did in response to this crisis was they turned to God. They turned to God. In other words, they invited God into the crisis. They invited God into the crisis through prayer. Now, now notice this about King Jehoshaphat. Notice that he didn't go to God alone. He didn't go to God alone. We just read that he proclaimed a nationwide fast. The scripture says that people came from all the cities of Judah to pray to God. So we see both unity and agreement in play here. 
Now, now why, is, why is that important? That's important because many times when crisis arises, community is abandoned. When crisis arises, community is abandoned. In other words, when, when I'm going through, you don't hear from me. When I'm going through, you don't hear from me. Or if you do hear from me, I, I won't tell you what I'm going through. I won't tell you what I'm going through. Because for a lot of us in crisis, isolation becomes a companion. Isolation becomes a companion. So Jehoshaphat didn't go to God alone. Here's something else that's interesting about the way that they turned to God. Notice when he turned to God, he didn't begin by describing his problem. He didn't begin by describing his problem. He began by declaring God's power. He began by declaring God's power. We just read it. Even though he was afraid, even though he was afraid, it was not about him. It was not about him. I love this because many times when you and I are in a crisis, the first thing we do when we go to God is tell God what we're going through. But King Jehoshaphat didn't do that. He led in by declaring God's power. See, when we, when we magnify God, we minimize our problems. When we magnify God, we minimize our problems. And they concluded their time in prayer in verse 12 with a line that I love. They said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And, that, and that's a prayer that I believe that, that all of us can echo during this time, this crisis that we find ourselves in. Because the truth is, many of us, we, we are confused right now. And for many of us, we don't know what to do. But we need to acknowledge and declare that though we don't know what to do, God, our eyes are on you. So the first thing we see here is that they, that they turn to God in crisis. That was the first thing they did as a response. Now let's keep reading to see the second thing that they did. I want to start at, at verse number 14, 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 14. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. The Lord will be with you. So the first thing they did was they turned to God. Now at this point, since they have the word from God, now they have to trust in God. Now they have to trust in God. In other words, they have to choose to engage in his plan. They have to choose to engage in his plan because the, 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 uh, the word comes to them through Jehaziel and he says, don't be afraid, the battle is God's. Then he says, go down there, but don't fight. Rather, hold your position and see the salvation 
of the Lord. Now, remember I said a second ago that, that they had to engage in his plan. His plan right now, because I, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but, but my plan would have probably been different. My plan would have probably been different. In other words, for me, it would have been, God, can you take care of this and I stay home at the crib? Can you do that? Can you take care of this uh, and, and I just stay home? Can you imagine the level of trust that it took for them to go down there and not fight? Remember, there were three armies coming against them. There were three armies coming against them. Now, I, I, now in my imagination, I can also imagine uh, the swag and the confidence that these armies had as they were coming against Judah. Because I'm sure they, in their minds, they knew that this was, this was a battle that they had already won. I can imagine them being uh, uh, confident and cocky. Now, remember, God never told King Jehoshaphat and the army of Judah how he was going to defeat them. He never, he never told them that. He never told them how he was going to do it. All he said was the battle was his, but they needed to show up. Now, Again, maybe this is just me, but sometimes it's easier to trust God when God gives us all the details, right? It's easier to trust God when we have all of the details. Because sometimes in my mind, if I'm honest, when God tells me to do something, in my mind I say, God, if you explain to me all of the details, then I can put my full trust. Then I can put my full trust in you. But that's not what... King Jehoshaphat of the army of Judah did, was it? They showed up to the battle not even knowing how God was going to come through. They showed up not even knowing how God was going to, to come through. This is not just trusting God for the outcome. This is trusting God through the process. That's a word for somebody. Not just for the outcome, but they trusted God through the process. But here's, here's what often gets in the way of you and I trusting God. Control. Control. Now, let's be honest. Some of us are some serious control freaks, right? Serious control. Maybe not you, maybe the person sitting next to you, right? But some of us are some serious control freaks. And I can't think of many things that activate our desire to take control quite like a crisis, right? Because that's, that's honestly what makes it a crisis, right? Because we can't control it. But here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that genuine trust is more than just relinquishing control. It's releasing all resistance to the one in control. Genuine trust is more than just relinquishing control. It's more than just letting someone else handle it. It's releasing all resistance to the one in control. In other words, I don't just, I don't just trust God so I walk away but I have peace when I walk away because I now have no resistance. But, 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 but note this also um, in verses 20 through 22, it says, and they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness. And when they went out, Joseph had stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. The scripture goes on to say that they praised God. They praised him. So they didn't just trust God in the crisis. They also chose to praise God through the process. Because the fruit of trust 
is often evident in both the natural and the spiritual. There's evidence in both the natural and the spiritual. Verses 23 through 25 talks about them gathering all of the spoils that they got as a result of this battle. Now, this battle ended with the armies turning on themselves. That's how God handled it. They, they, the, the, the armies turned on themselves. And so when King Jehoshaphat and the, and the army of Judah walk up, they see all of these dead bodies. And the scripture says that it took them three days to gather all of the spoils. Three days. And remember, King Jehoshaphat was already wealthy. He was already wealthy. So that was the fruit of trust in the natural. But in the spiritual, we have the benefit of knowing that when we trust God, it's pleasing to him. When we trust God, we are pleasing to our father. And so we see here that in response to the crisis, the first thing they did was they, they, they turned to God. And then after they turned to God, because God is faithful, God gave them a word, then they trusted in God. And the final thing I want to I share today uh, as I begin to close that's not a part of this particular story, but I believe should be a part of all of our stories, is to testify of his goodness and grace. Testify of his goodness and his grace. Because when we turn to God, we know that God is going to show up. Then it's, then it's our responsibility to trust God. And after God has shown himself faithful, I believe that part of our responsibility is to testify of what God has done, how God has brought us through. Because I believe that the triumphs in your life and in my life, they may be the truth that somebody else needs. Not just to get through a crisis, but maybe even to be kept from a crisis. Our testimony is not only what we say, but it's how we respond when life is the toughest. Testimony is not just what we say, but it's how we respond when life is the toughest. One of my favorite uh, scriptures in, in, in all of the Bible is in Psalm 119, verse 99, and it says, I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Don't you know that we can impart wisdom and strength to someone just by sharing our story? Simply by sharing your story, telling someone else what God has brought you through. It can bring life and it can bring strength to somebody else. You may know Revelations 12, 11 that says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the what? Word of their testimony. So my, my hope and my prayer is that we would learn from King Jehoshaphat and the army of Judah and lean into Christ during this crisis. Let's not be too proud to echo their words in verse 12 when they said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So I want you to be encouraged by this. Just like he heard the prayers of those in the scripture we read and responded to them, he hears our prayers and he will respond in his timing because he is a faithful 
and he is a loving God. Remember, whatever you're facing today, the battle is not yours. It's not mine, but it's the Lord's. And crisis creates an opportunity to rely on Christ. Let's lean into Christ together. To God be the glory. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us the way you do. Thank you for being such a loving and a faithful father. God, we acknowledge that many of us in this season, during this time, we don't know what to do. But help us to keep our eyes on you. Because you're faithful, because you are a loving God, we know that as we turn to you, as we trust in you, you will meet us at the point of our need and you'll give us a testimony that will bring strength and life to someone else. God, show up and show out in our crisis, in our situation, in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Rodney, for a great message and a great reminder that crisis creates an opportunity for us to look to Christ. May we each do that this week. And we'll look forward to you joining us next week as we celebrate Orange Day, recognizing our next-gen ministries, kids and student ministries here at New City, and all the wonderful things that God is doing there. If you're able, would you extend your hands as we close today's worship service with a benediction? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and turn his face towards you. And may the Lord today and always fill you with his peace and his mercy and his love. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. We love you, New City. Thanks for joining us.